Should we do the intro? Should we? Should we? And in this moment, I swear, uh, we are infinite. Let's do this! Come on! Mounting! It's too damn hot for a penguin to be just walking around. Three, two, one, eagle! Are these two doctors? I'm afraid so. And here we go, Simon Cooper. What an intro! Back in the back in the house, back in the podcast chair. Welcome. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Com- more comfy chairs than we have had previously. It's been a hot minute. It has and uh, I think an ode to the 2020 version of the podcast where you were co-host and King Dick, so to speak. Wow. Uh, that's the old intro. It's a little bit long mm. for this format, I think. Yeah, but it was a bit of fun. Wow. Sweet mems. Mm, yeah, doing it from home in the midst of lockdowns. Is this more intimate? On a chair next to you, it's nice next to, to me. Person. You can hear yourself. Yeah, I'm getting used to these these uh, headphones, but it's more intimate. We can like hear each other breathing and stuff. Wow, it's glorious. What's been happening? Tell the the people have you've been heavily requested <coughs> to get you back on the podcast heavily. And you're going to be coughing like, like just the, the throw clear. Loves the throw clear, so does Simon Cooper. But you've been heavily requested to get you back on the podcast. So uh, tell the people what's been happening. Mm. Yeah, it's been a, it has been a hot minute since we've been on the podcast. Um, 2020, what are we, mid, end, nearly the end of 2022. Crazy. It's been, it's been two years. Yeah, yeah. Um, not in the Virtus uh, sphere. Well, you're in the sphere. In the sphere. Not in the in the core of it anymore. Uh, moved into a a role with the outdoor education group. Um, work was working within the client delivery space for a while, and so working with with schools um, in in Victoria to develop uh, and deliver outdoor ed programs. Um, which was a great, a big change. It was a, it was a tough decision to move away. Um, that was an interesting kind of decision making process, but ultimately made the decision to move into that that area, and then more recently moved into the risk management space. Head of the risky boys. Head of the risky boys. Hashtag. Mm. It's not fun unless it's safe. That's my uh, yeah. That's my catchphrase. Whenever I, whenever <laughs> I enter a room, <coughs> I love it. Tell like obviously I've been was intimately involved in the decision making process and kind of seen your growth and, and the changes you've made over the last couple of years and very proud of you by the way. Um, but give give us an insight into that decision making process and what it was like because effectively you've taken the best job in the world and said no to it, shifted to something else. Yeah. But like you know, you obviously do a presentation called The Power of Change, which if we get enough uh, thumbs up, we'll, we'll present to the Virtus family at some point back. again. Um, but change is difficult. Making big life decisions mm. like that don't come along very often. So what went into that decision and how did you make it? Yeah, it was, it was, it was extremely challenging. And, you know, I feel like sometimes I felt that I'd, I'd done things in the wrong order. You know, you hear stories about people who have done the corporate thing and then they get sick of it and then they move into like their passion and, uh, you know, pursue that. And I almost went the other direction and, and, you know, fell into this role and this environment at Virtus where 
I loved it and I loved the people and we are able to build something pretty special. I mean, you fit in really well. Sorry. Sorry we dropped. <laughs> and then, uh, but but at the same time, I hadn't explored this other area of of business and my own development. So that was what ultimately, uh, you know, prompted the change and prompted the decision to, to move away and to, you know, expand myself into uh, a business and an environment that I wasn't familiar with and maybe not comfortable with. Um, so it, the decision-making process was very much around what gaps I saw in my own capacity and cap- capability and how can I pursue that in an environment that uh, I hadn't experienced before. What gave you the awareness to explore those gaps because it's very easy for a lot of us to put blindsides up around mm-hmm. gaps in our capabilities, but you almost or you didn't you almost you didn't almost you did actively sort out disconfirming information and sort out ways to identify what those biases were and then you dove straight into it yeah part of it part of it was drawn from the business studies that I was doing alongside my work at Virtus and you know in a in a different business in a different environment you utilize different skill sets and different um basis of knowledge so I guess I wanted to explore some of those things that I wasn't exploring here at Virtus and the other part of it around my own personal development was um, I guess just not having uh, yeah not having opportunity to explore areas of myself that um, were hidden and also just to I guess throw myself into something a new challenge Um, there's always I mean the work that we were doing at Virtus was meaningful and there was a lot of uh, space to grow and to develop the team and the, and the organisation, but the... Um, it's a different world to what you've shifted into and is. what the corporate world can tend to be. Definitely. And, you know, the, the shift that I made has meant that I've had to learn not just a new um, skill set, but also learn a completely new industry. And, you know, it means that I'm showing up differently to my work. Um, I mean, in, within a different community now, even though, you know, I'm still heavily involved within the Virtus community, but I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm a bit more, more removed now and um, trying to show up at OEG in a way that, you know, I, I find meaningful. And also figuring that out, what that looks like yeah. um, within a new team and a new role. And, you know, leadership looks different. Um, the work looks different. The, the processes and systems within the business looks different. So, you know, becoming accustomed to that. And then also, I guess, um, w- part, of, part of the work that I'm really interested in is developing organisations that are high-performing. So trying to look for improvement within the existing business model at OEG and how can we um, do better work. So... Uh, my transition into this new role in the risk management department has meant that, you know, I'm leading a team and um, a, a quite a young team and a growing team. So it's meant that, you know, I'm able to kind of lead them in a direction that I'm really um, passionate about and empowering them to do work that they really find meaningful and interesting um, and makes ultimately makes a change or makes a difference in, you know, the broader... Um, circles that we work in 
Love that. What, what were the main main few differences that you noticed? And, and I guess it's what been eighteen months now since you shifted into that role or yeah. shifted shifted across um, that fateful day, April April twelfth, I think. April it was. twelfth. There yeah. you go. Um, what were the main differences that you noticed and have noticed over the last eighteen months between bigger business um, developing? Um, there's obviously a lot more factors that's at, at play in terms of like, you know, economic factors and size and, and shape of, of a business versus small, you know, small business yeah. like Virtus where you effectively, we effectively have control over everything that happens. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, going into OEG when I did was interesting because we're still in the midst of COVID. So, you know, I, I moved there in April, July, we, we shut down all operations. I was working uh, like half my hours, maybe. Yeah. Um, is that hard? Was there a bit of emotional? Yeah. Damn it! I was. <laughs> so you I know, pandered to him because he loves that one. I do love that one. It's one of my faves. Uh, moving into the organization for two months and then effectively being at home, working half my hours. Yeah. Um, trying to you know, find meaning in the work that I was doing in this new role and trying to connect with the people in my team and within the organisation was really challenging. Um, and and even in normal times, the organisation was a lot bigger. So there's a lot more, um, that there are more systems at play and there's, you know, it's a slower moving machine than Virtus, which yep. was small and agile and we could, as you said, we, we had control <laughs> of everything. everything on the so, job of a hat. Seriously, we could... Pivot into Pivot. whatever we wanted. Um, Pivot. Where, you know, OEG, we're, we're a big organisation. Um, and how many, how many people for context? I think we're probably sitting around 400. 400. So, and Virtus has shifted between like the 5 and 14, 15 mark yeah. over the years. So, so yeah. there's completely different yeah. size and shape. and So it's becoming, it's becoming more, for me it was, being a uh, becoming accustomed to being a smaller cog in the machine rather than being at the driver's wheel. Yeah. Um, so that was a little bit that was um, had frustrating moments and you know um, waiting for things to happen. But as per my last email, yeah. <laughs> email email <laughs> politics. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. I do not envy that part of the job. Yeah, but I think also you know. It's it's another skill. Yeah. Learning how to communicate effectively with different stakeholders and people at different levels within the organization um, and, and externally as well with clients. So yep. uh, I'm excited now that I'm more removed from the external stuff and looking internally and seeing how we can improve processes and systems um, and, and develop the high-performing teams that I'm really interested in. So uh, a lot of – and there's a lot of transfer still, you know, from what we were doing at Virtus – into this new endeavor and this new pursuit. Uh, a lot of the skills, a lot of the, you know, directives, I guess. Um, uh, well, not even directives, objectives that we had yep. still carry over and um, still give me meaning. Yeah. What You've used that word a few times, meaning. Mm. Like, what does that look like? Both in a personal and professional setting for you at the moment, how's that adapt? Has that adapted and changed over the last eighteen months? Yeah, I think 
when I was at Virtus, the meaning was was very heavily focused on community and the people within it. Um, and me moving away was in some parts it was like a selfish move, you know. Um, I moved away from I mean, a this community. Place is better when you're in it, maybe. <laughs> um, the 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 reason I moved was for my own development and. Um, so the meaning kind of shifted away from a collective into more of a um, self. Uh, and that's evolved and it is evolving, continues to evolve. As I've transitioned in this new role, the meaning has gone more from me becoming competent and capable at my role into how can we develop a team that is really competent and high performing um, and a team of leaders as well. So, you know, developing leadership within the team and within the people that um, I want to serve. And that the focus, I guess, shifts from the community and the people we want to serve to maybe more initially into a team. And those are the people that I'm serving as well as, and, and you know, I've talked a lot about already about <coughs> developing team and less about, so that's like the adaptive um, perspective and less at like the actual technical part of the role, which is risk management. Yeah. Um, so I guess helmets on, yeah, safety high gear, high vis, <coughs> um, no campsites under trees, etc. That boy, yeah. Uh, I listen. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm still learning all those technical. Techni- there are a lot of technical gaps in my knowledge about risk management, especially yep. within the operational risk um, uh, arena that we operate in. I guess that's a good place to be. You'd rather be going, you know. Ad- you're adaptively capable because of all the work we've done in the past around, you know, mm. changing changing the business and, and building our own capacities, whereas the technical stuff, um, and for those that aren't aware of these two things, basically we look at problems, there's adaptive problems and technical problems, and an adapt- adaptive problem is one that doesn't have a clear path to a, to a solution. You have to evolve and adapt to overcome whatever the problem is, and then the technical problem is one that has a clear, you know, step-by-step process to a to yeah. a solution so yeah. um so i think the you'd rather be in a space where you need technical advice than the need adaptive advice and and being capable of, of solving adaptive problems is all around your own capacities and your ability to look at a problem enlist help of your allies and and you know evolve mm. yeah yeah for sure and you know when we at Virtus, we always spoke about when we were hiring people, we'd hire people who have uh, leadership capability and, you know, ability to communicate well. And um, Does everyone have capability of being a leader? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. That wasn't a way to, way to, that wasn't meant to be a way to question. It's a good question. Kind of comes back <coughs> into the, you know, nature versus nurture. Can we develop leadership, Is leadership, leadership a as a skill? skill? Yeah. yeah. So is leadership a skill or is it a um, a trait? Um, and I think it's probably a bit of both. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think... I mean, leadership's a lot about willingness and desire as as much as it is around yeah. capabilities. Yep, yep. And then there's, you know, technical, technical skill leaders who are very good at one thing. Yep. They're an expert in that technical proficiency. But then there's also you know, people leaders who are good at empowering others and giving them the uh, abilities and skills to lead. 
Um, what kind of leader is Simon Cooper? I'm definitely not very good at anything. <laughs> Shut up. I'm I'm okay at a lot of things, but not very good at. Um, no. <laughs> I, I um. So self-deprecating. I definitely self-identify as a generalist. There's so much potential in you. I like potential. Sorry. <sighs> a bit of Ted Lasso. Get around him. Um, yeah, I'm. I am a self-identified generalist and proud to be a generalist. I, and I think that might come back to also my uh, inability to know exactly what I wanted to do growing up. Yeah, growing up. Um, yeah. So, you know, and, and one of the considerations that I had when moving into this this new role was, do I want to become a risk manager um, yep. or like a risk person? Uh, but again. The, the considerations for me were, uh, are the skills transferable to different industries, to different organisations? Um, and will the, the role itself, will it force me to grow in my, um, my force me to grow my container yep. to be a leader and to, to step into leadership um, and I guess grow some of those softer skills, adaptive skills. Yeah. Which I think it will. And you know, I'm already. I'm only. This is four weeks, so a month. A month. In. A month is head, head of the risky boys. Mm. Um. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see where this leads, and you know, the change that we can make within the organisation. Yeah, you mentioned transferable skills. Like, what transferable skills have you been able to utilise from? Your travels, because obviously you spent some time in the UK, which is a fairly important part of the story. You uh, shifted into doing, what was your master's called? Master of Business. So it was just a Master of Business. Mm-hmm. Um, master of Business um, into working at Virtus. How and what, what skills and how have you been able to transfer those to what you're doing now? Because mm-hmm. they are, you've you kind of, there's similarities, but what you're doing is very different. Yeah. <clears throat> I think... Um, again, there's adaptive skills and technical skills. If we generally bundle them into the two categories, then you know the technical skills would be looking like um, project management, which is what I actually specialised in in my degree. Yep. So <clears throat> that skill set is definitely transferable between you know a- any like, yeah any industry, any organisation. You use um, your ability to manage projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and then interpersonal skills, communication, ability to communicate effectively. Um, what, what have you learned about communication since shifting into this role? Because one of the things that we're very fortunate fortunate with Virtus is everyone that is in this environment wants to be here and yep. and is here for a particular reason. You know, some, there's some clear self actualization uh, self actualization that they're trying to achieve. Um, so relatively easy to communicate with and to you know, help lead towards the result thereafter. What did you learn about communication? And, and this is something that we've worked on a lot over the yeah. last few years. What's something you learned about communication moving into these couple of roles that you've been in at OEG? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. I think communication is very context-driven. Um, so the context of Virtus is very different to OEG particularly within, because it's a orga- bigger organisation, there's, I guess, layers of hierarchy. So, you know, s- senior, ex- there's executives, then there's, you know, heads and, and senior managers. So 
being able to uh, deliver messages in an effective way to to, to more senior people. Yeah. Um, but also then um, transferring that message to people who may be work, working out in the field. Um, and, and there's different types of people in this organisation. You know, there's there's business people. It, there's business people who look after the finances and yeah. the accounting and the HR people and culture. Yeah. And then there's also, but we're an outdoor education organisation. So there's yeah. a lot of outdoor editors who, you know, have grown up in the field leading groups in the outdoors yeah. and there's nuances with that and there's a different language and there's a different tone. So there's there's definitely dissonance between the two. But And one of the challenges has been and will continue to be trying to uh, meet in the middle um, and deliver messages in a way that is um, tailored to the different types of people in the organisation. Yeah. So... Um, like for example, field, the field team would rarely check their emails, so there's no point in sending out a, 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 <laughs> yeah. a group email to <laughs> yeah. people who, yeah. you know, they're out of reception for five days of the week. Yeah. Um, so looking at different different modes or methods of communication has been really important. Um, and then I guess within my my realm, which is um, now the risk team that is based out of the head office in Burwood, we uh, are still figuring out how to best communicate our messages to people because we look at the whole organisation. We also look at – we're a national organisation, so we are based in different states. So, um, And the way that you know people operate over in Western Australia is different to how we operate in Victoria. So oh. – that's my, that's my alarm to drink water. <laughs> well, this is a perfect opportunity. It's clean. It's cold. And that's what I call high-quality H2O. <sighs> Great mm. timing. Yeah. There's a button for it and everything. Mate, I've got buttons for everything. <coughs> Actually, that's not true. I've only got eight buttons. And we've used five of them. Four of them. Yeah, cool. Uh, so... Yeah, communication is is you know is a universal skill. It's one that is very context driven. There's principles that you come back to yeah. um, regardless of context, but uh, there's definitely nuance to it, and you know you have to be uh, emotionally intelligent enough to be able to communicate well with others. You mentioned before about specialist versus generalists, and that you're. You're leaning into being a generalist. What is, what does that look like, and how did you build the self awareness to go? You know what I don't necessarily want to or feel like it's going to serve me to specialize in something right now. Um, I just don't think I really ever cared enough about one thing to <coughs> dive deep enough into it yep. to become a specialist. Yeah. Um, and I've been thinking about it a bit lately because I'm reading a book called Range by David Epstein. Um, Shout out, which Dave, is if you're listening, keep keep writing good things about generalists versus specialists, yep. um, and it definitely makes the case. It, it's biased, well, not biased, but the f- the findings in the book lend itself to being a generalist. Yep. Um, there's more kind of carryover and transferable skills, and uh, I think for myself, yeah, never never uh, cared enough about a single thing. Yep. Um, I have a lot of interests, so you know 
dipping my toes into lots of different things and seeing how I can apply them to my real world problems. Um, and finding that, you know, having all those different interests will enable me to problem solve better. Yeah. Um, it gives you more tools in your toolbox, gives you more experiential learning, it gives you more yep. opportunities to look at the world from diff- through different lenses to then better solve problems, mm. better communicate, better connect. For sure. Um, do you find that it... Because it, to give you some context, we I literally just sat down with a bunch of the interns and talked through behaviour change and talked about values and, mm. and self-awareness and... Um, and the understanding of how to make good decisions and things like that. Do you think there are times where you'll need to lean into being a specialist in certain things or is it just that, you know, almost like the you lean into learning enough about a thing to best make decisions and you can move on to the, the next thing? Yeah, I think I think for me it's having a, enough knowledge to get by. So if, if we use my current situation as an example where I'm in this this risk management role so I'm going to have to have a base level of knowledge about the principles or the foundations of risk management yeah um, and pair that with the knowledge that I have of the organization and of outdoor education um, and again outdoor education not my background so I'm coming in as a person with these this this skill set these this um, generalist knowledge coming into an organization and um, having to level up in the context specific knowledge Um, but then also having a team of people around me who are specialists yeah they're they're the you know there's people in my team who have been working in risk management for for years or have a um, really deep understanding of experiential outdoor learning so they're the ones that I'll defer to yeah. when I don't have that knowledge. And then my role is, you know, empowering them or enabling them to do their job really well or, or giving them the tools that they need to do their job really well. You're almost the conduit to goodness. Yeah. The, the human glue to connect oh. and distribute. <laughs> the human glue. <coughs> the human glue. The human glue stick. That's what you can call me. No, you'd be more like, what was that glue we used in primary school? Like, was it called clag? Clag. <laughs> How's that for a flashback? Do you think it still exists? Surely. Surely still pri- primary school. Billy, Madis- Billy Madison, where Miss Slippy's just sitting there like, looking at the clack. <laughs> yes. Gross. Yeah, a little, little gross. Um, so what's, what is the, now that you're kind of shifting into that risk management role, what mm. is, what are your growth areas, both personally and professionally, that you're looking to level up to continue to be able to contribute not only to your team, but then also to mm. to the world. Yeah, I think the the risk management knowledge. Uh, I'm looking forward to upskilling in that and learning more about the the base principles of risk risk management, as well as you know the the specific nuances that come with operational risk within the outdoor ed space. Yeah, um, and. I guess also thinking about how that will transfer to future roles or future organisations. Um, and then I'm really passionate and really interested in, and again, building the team 
into this high performance machine, which is um, <clears throat> a desirable place to work within the organization. Um, you know, we, we're creating our own culture within the team. Uh, and I guess also it, it's because it's a fairly new team in terms of people coming in and, you know, there's been a bit of um, coming and going. So figuring out how we work best together, what our what are our principles and our values yeah, that we will kind of use as a base to then um, expand into the organisation and, and uh, I guess, increase OEG's risk maturity and... Um, and through that, one of our projects will be around education and building up the, the education of the field team's um, risk management. And so essentially, essentially, I want to make ourselves redundant in the space. Yeah, that's pretty so, cool. Um, what, what's, what, are the, what are the frameworks or what are the resources that you're like leaning on to, to build that team and to build that team cohesiveness? Because I, I guess... From my perspective, I like I love the love the nuance and the the context generation that you need to build a team and to create team cohesiveness and to effectively get a group of people <coughs> with maybe shared interests or shared understanding, you know, all paddling in the right direction. Mm. Um, like that fascinates me. Being part of sporting teams and being part of Virtus here and being part of community. They're all iterations of, of team. Um, so, yeah, what are the things that you're doing and have lent on to help build that and build and, and ensure that it's going to be successful long-term? Yeah, it's a good question because there are so many resources and so many people and books and things and fra- frameworks out there yeah. that you can lean on. And it's almost just picking one and, and rolling with it, committing yeah. to it. And, 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 and culture can be so ambiguous, right? I want, I want to build totally. culture. It's like, okay, well, what does that mean? Yeah. And that's, you know, we will, as a team, we will start from that question. Like, what do we want? What's our um, mission for the team? What does winning look like yeah. for us? Um, questions that, you know, w- that we have, you and I have used in the past at Virtus and that we've learnt from our mentors and coaches in the past. So, you know, um, I, I used um, some questions in a, in a conversation the other day that came from Cam Schwab. Um, what does winning look like how we know yep and you know what does this role expect of me what do I expect of the role Um, so it's it's almost just me figuring out how I want to show up in the in my work and in my team yeah taking bits of inspiration from different different mentors that I've had in the past or books um, or frameworks and then kind of not just using one, but taking inspiration from all of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a phenomenal, like, lesson to to be at and to, for you to be able to share with your team and then for everyone listening to be able to go, well, everything I learned, everything I learned, no matter what I'm doing, is a usable skill for down the track, right? Like, how long ago did we go to that Cam Schwab presentation? And obviously, mm-hmm. we, we get his emails and stuff, but it would have been three or four, four years, five years ago, maybe. Yeah, 2018, probably. Yeah, so we're looking on four years now. Mm. And like his bookmarks still up on the wall over yeah. there, um, and I look at that, and and there's still something I come back to. But there's almost hundreds of of uh, tools that we now have in our 
yep. um, in our toolbox to be able to go, all right, well, this is what fits in this situation. Um, yeah. And you know, one of <laughs> one of my w- most overused sentences is, "You need to read this book." Or like yeah, this this book articulates this brilliantly. Um, but how do you? I guess how do you package all of those things to, or how do you order order them so you can mm. lean on them when you need to? Yeah, and this is probably a challenge of mine that I've had in trying to filter through what what I really want to focus on and what I want to use. Um, a bit of journaling has helped yep. and, you know, putting my thoughts on on paper to try to Have identify you been what lately? my problem is. Uh, on and off. Not not really. Not really. I, it's something that I <coughs> have been meaning to, you know, revisit. Yep. I've been meditating a bit. Attaboy. Um, what does your meditation practice look like at the moment? Uh, I use an app called Balance. Good. Um, which I think you posted about a yep. while ago. I used it about six times. I haven't touched it since, but... Gave yeah. us free years, so get around them. I was I was using it as a initially. If this is a few weeks ago, I was using it as a tool to get to sleep because I was struggling to um, get good sleep. So I was using it as a tool to get to sleep, and then since I've been uh, just doing daily meditations, 10, 15 minutes, not long. Yeah, but it's enough time for me to um, clear my head a little bit, and then come when I come. I find that when I come back to the task, it enables me to filter things and focus more easily. Yeah. Um, so that's been really useful. Um, and it, yeah, it, it's coming back to, uh, I guess, questions. Um, I find that I, I, I was thinking about this the other day around what I want to be known for and I want to be known as someone who asks really good questions. <laughs> so <clears throat> in the work that I'm doing, I'm trying to think what are the best questions that I can ask myself and my team that will um, help to inform the direction that we want to go in and how we want to um, be as a team. So, you know, and through the journaling that I've done over the past few years and all the development work that that we've done, um, questions from Cara Miller and Logan Goldbrick, they have definitely helped inform me. Um, Questions like... <clears throat> what does winning look like for the team? Um, what does what does it feel like to be a part of the team? Um, That's a good question. H- how do we want to be useful? Yeah. To others. Um, what, do you, <clears throat> what do you need but don't have? What do we need Love but don't have? Yep. So what what constitutes a good question? So if you could build a framework into question, good, asking good questions, the Simon Cooper question framework, what would it look like? That is a great question. Tick. <laughs> um, I think what constitutes a good question is something that addresses a core uh, belief or value. Something that uncovers that and maybe um, bring shines a spotlight on it and brings it into question. Or, mm-hmm. um, and again questions are context specific so if i'm asking you know how, how can i be useful <coughs> that's a silly question unless it's directed in a specific yeah. context I, I think questions can be context specific but they don't always have to be right like sure if you ask someone the question of what do you need but don't have mm. context like avoiding context 
<clears throat> it's a great way to build self-awareness and to build understanding around yep. who you are and what you need. So you can ask someone that and they can say, oh, I need a rest or I need, mm. <laughs> I need some food or I need to train sure. or I need to build some consistency or I need some sleep. Then it kind of takes, takes the, the work lens out or it takes the training yeah. lens out or it takes you away from a particular point in your life. To, All right, what do you need that you don't have? Mm. And it allows you to almost figure out what's most important. Um, yep. And, you know, we talked, we talked about the Maslow's hierarchy of needs before. And if we, if the answer is, well, I need food on the table, then we're probably not going to be able to spend much time building question around questions around self-actualization when really all we need is safety and security. Mm, um, for sure. So, yeah, I think context is really important when we're trying to elicit a specific result. But if we're trying to build awareness, it's almost sure. like context can can put blinders on. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think questions help to unpeel layers. Like an ogre? <sighs> like, an, like an onion or an ogre? Both. Column A, a little column B. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think a, a good question can be something that... Well, uh, a question is off is not often in isolation, right? Like yeah. it's, it's then followed up by an additional question. So, you know, there's a, I think it's a, a concept within human-centered thinking or design thinking about like the five whys. So you ask a question, why? What, why are you doing this? Or why does this matter? Whatever. Yeah. And then you ask the why five times and it kind of unpeels layers and gets deeper and deeper to the core reason or belief that you're trying to examine so um the question about um you know what do you need that will often bring up the first thought or the first need that someone has but then if you follow up with additional questions then you can get deeper and there might be um a, a hidden desire or hidden belief that is the, is the thing. Yeah. Well, it's almost like we could almost ask you those questions about why you shifted from totally small business to corporate, right? It's like, well, you wanted to see what the corporate world was like. Is like the first layer, and see if I can yeah. get, let's see if I can peel back some layers for sure. you. Second layer is like is to be able to to grow and discover who you are and what you need. And then <clears throat> third one is to build your capacity outside of that. Mm. What would the next layer be? Yeah. So then why do I want to have that capacity Yeah. Um, to, you know, show up to the people that I love and in a way that is um, true and meaningful yeah. and useful? Why do you want to show up to the people you love in a way that's u- useful and meaningful? Because that is something that I value and believe in, I guess. And that's probably a value of mine, you know. Yeah connection to people and um and inherently community all layers removed it makes the world a better place it makes your world a better place yeah yeah and that's also you know a question that's a process that we've followed in the past to uncover values values yeah yeah that's true yeah um yeah why if this then what if this then what yeah and you peel back yeah we spoke about values a fair bit with the interns before and um, I think one of the most impactful things you can do as a human being to uncover meaning and uncover purpose is to get really clear on what your values are because then every decision you make, every um, 
every question you ask yourself, every almost every action you take can be mm. can be guided by the things that you value most and that are most important to you. For sure. Has have your values changed or evolved mm. over the last eighteen months? De- definitely. And I was actually just thinking of you when you were saying that because you've gone through over the last you know three or four years a an evolution of your identity and your life, right? Becoming a dad and um, the, the business has evolved and, you know, your identity as an athlete has changed and... Um, Still holding on to it. <laughs> forever. Uh, and I'm the same, you know, like I'm going to be a, a father in... Oh, catch out of the bag. Four months. Maybe if I could know. Four months exactly today. Yeah? That's mm. so exciting. How's that? That's crazy. So... You know, and my identity will shift. It will definitely shift over the next six to twelve months. It's right? weird. It's such a weird change, man. So <coughs> I'm so excited to watch you go through it. Yeah, I am as well, and I'm excited to see you know Sally Ann um, evolve into a mother, and you know she's going to be elite at it. So, um, and you know, and, and so our, my values and our values have will change. Mm. Um, you know, I. Sure that I will value family a lot more, um, and like I said before, connection is such an important thing to me, and that's a uh, a strong value. And you know, service is a really strong value of mine. You know, I want to be in service to others yep. and to my community and to um, people. So my idea of service will shift. Um, it was going to shift from you know service to my work mm. into the broader community and it will, de- I'm sure it will go, it will con- contract to service to my unborn child. To one little potato. Yeah. <laughs> to <coughs> Sally Ann. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm excited to see how, how it will evolve and change. Yeah. Um, and it will be an interesting, you know, introspection to go through in another six months. Once this, it is such a big made. change and it's such a big shift. And I don't think, that we as as men as dads talk about it enough and talk about the sure. what it what impact it has on our identity and on our on our value system and on our belief system because yeah. like I don't I don't know I look I look at I I've seen how like and this is with my own biases and with my blinkers on but I've seen how my thoughts and beliefs and values have adapted and changed over the last few years but I don't think being a dad is necessarily changed me it's just mm. shifted my focus to certain things and it's kind of elevated the importance of certain parts of my life and and you know priority shift right like so mm. that's a big change so when when you talk talk to me about the process of you you finding out you're a dad and what those few days were like from a you know from headspace mm. perspective and from a thoughts beliefs like what did it do to you initially yeah I think there was no light bulb or lightning strike <laughs> yeah. moment. Yeah. Um, People talk about that and I haven't felt that at all no. in any way. It's just like, a, it's almost like you're building layers of love and connection yeah. and, and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, with, with Sal and I, we, um, we've been ready f- for this for a while and um, it's a very natural um, evolution of our relationship and... You know, we've been together for so long now and we've been, we were married and um, that shift has probably been bigger 
the, the experience that I've had shifting from a partner or a boyfriend to a husband has been uh, pretty significant. And, you know, we've, Sal and I have talked about this and, you know, it's much more meaningful that it's just a, a word or a title or it's a yeah. Yeah, title of <coughs> husband, but it is so meaningful to both of us and yeah. it is so much more, it, it's so powerful in how we show up to one another now. Um, and, you know, so, so, so the natural evolution of us falling pregnant and um, sort of going, shifting our focus to being parents has um, been really natural. And uh, yeah, we're just super excited and stoked to have You've had a little, have bit, of, little bit of practice with your first child. Baby Henry, he's one now. Oh, Banks down too the other day, and I didn't celebrate her birthday. Sal <laughs> still wants to go to uh, go to the, the puppy cafe and have a little cake for Henry. <laughs> Maybe I'll take Banksy too, just get around there for a yeah. birthday. It's her world; we're just living in it. That's it. Um, yeah, no, Henry's um, he's a good boy. Prior to find, prior to finding out that you guys were pregnant, to now, has your concept or um, thought process around being a dad changed? And, and obviously, this is a question that we can ask you in six months when you know, you've got a little potato rolling around. Not really. I, th- I think... Does it, feel, does it feel real yet? Does it feel like it's happening? I don't think so. I mean, we're over halfway now, so, you know, and, and Sal is going through a lot of changes with mm-hmm. her body, and <coughs> it's, um, it's um, like, amazing what the female body can do like, in awe of that. Yeah. Um... And I think, you know, trying to show up to Sal in a way that is supportive and, you know, empathetic of what she's experiencing, um, yeah. that's probably the more important piece. That's probably the, the piece that's taken over more from yeah. me thinking about being Her a dad. dad. Yeah. So um, that's probably the identity that I identify with at the moment is, you know, being a husband and showing up to Sal, for Sal. Yeah. it's like, And I ask that question with my own bias of going, well, to be honest, when KP was pregnant with Luce, like nothing changed for me really. Mm. And yeah. as guys, we kind of don't get to experience anything outside of the support and the yeah. connection that we have with our, um, with our partner. And it kind of takes, <clears throat> I remember a friend saying to me, like, oh, I didn't really connect properly with my daughter until like six, 10 months old when she mm. could start to talk back and, or, you know, interact and, and things like that. And I never really understood what he meant. But when we had Lucy, like I, I felt like that connection straight away, but it wasn't like um, you are the center of my world, like you are everything and nothing else matters. It was just kind of like um, a love that is built and yep. built with um, built with interaction and, and experience and connection over the time. And how has um, that how has that experience been different to um, Billy? Um, has it been different? Yeah, it's definitely been different. It's like I definitely feel like the long. <laughs> well, I've known Lucy longer, so I like her more. Clearly, um, <laughs> favorite. No, but, but but there was there's generally that those moments where KP like will will definitely highlight it when I do something that's like Lucy focus first and Billy yeah. Billy second. But like as a fairly um, like the way I connect with the girls is like through like chatting and cuddles and playing and, and all those kind of things and. Billy's growing into that now and you see like 
now I can go home and she face lights up and she like waddles her way down and gives me a cuddle and it's like dad yeah. like she's not speaking yet like really apart from like a few words says taco is pretty pretty cute but um, it's definitely different because like there's been more time and experience and connection with loose um, and it kind of because <laughs> like we're done with two and it kind of makes me more like I just I don't want to wish the time away but it, but it just gets better as I get older for, yeah. for my and my experience like some parents are just like I love the baby stage but for me I'm just like like pooey nappies and a potato that doesn't do anything like come on just <laughs> give me some interaction yeah. um, so I'm feeling that build now with Billy as she you know she's just turned one so um like I feel like we're developing our relationship mm. more now that we can actually interact. And <clears throat> I know K, like talking to KP, it was definitely that connection with them both early on because they're, you know, they spend so much time with their feeding and, mm. and yeah, all of those yeah, kind of things of as well. So, um, and your relationship is going to naturally just be different from KP's because of yeah. that, that, um, connection that a mother has with their child. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and I'm like I'm like the biggest softy in the world. So like Lucy wants something like like True. I am definitely <laughs> I'm definitely the uh, rubber arms. Yeah, oh mate, it's <laughs> I need I need to work at it because she'll be like, Daddy, I'm hungry. I'm like, there's no food in here, and she'll be like, there's lollies in your drawer, <laughs> and I'll be like, Nah, nah, Adam, and she'll like walk over the drawer. And like, See, I told you, and I'll be like, All right, let's go have something else. <laughs> but it's it's like I'm genuinely rubber arms with her, and yeah. and you know that's something that I don't want to just enable that as I go and um, there's, you know, I don't want to be, is that like as parents, I think it's important not to be friends with your child. You've still got to be a parent um, yeah. and that parent first friend, friend second, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated as how to look future as how that relationship will evolve. Now that yeah. I've got the two girls that both have their own personalities and have their own, way of communicating with me and with, with us and, and things like that. Like you know, Lucy jumping on the podcast has basically been our, our, uh, it's been the highlight of the year for <laughs> our highlight from a content creation for a long time. <laughs> and people are like, I'm literally getting messages like we need more Lucy podcasts. Yeah. And I'm like, do I, do I just say, Hey Lucy, you're a podcast now. We're going to do one a week. Um, but she's literally like, daddy. I'm like, yes, Lucy. She's like, can I do another podcast? <laughs> 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 and like seeing her like almost like thrive in that environment yeah, where she yeah. sits in this chair and she's just like, can we talk about trees? <laughs> like, sure, let's talk about trees. Sure and she, and just to watch her little brain. brain um, Take over, uh, yeah. yeah it, I don't know. It's, I, I've been kind of the way I've been talking about parenting lately. It's like the biggest oxymoron in the world because it's like the most wonderful, amazing, incredible thing, but it's so hard and draining and difficult at the same time. Yep. Um, and <clears throat> I think I've spoken about this on the podcast, just my focus for the next four years is just hang out with the girls as much as possible. Um, mm. Yeah. And to build those connections and to, you know, just kind of wi- ride the wave in terms of like difficulties and things like that. Like one of my mates, I remember him catching up with him one day. He's got two kids as well. He's a couple of years ahead of me, but he just said, <clears throat> he goes, dude, like, was sitting there last night and I had a crying baby in my arms. We had a, um, his wife was like sitting on the ground, like leaning against his leg, crying and screaming, screaming kid in her arms. And he's just like, what have we done? (laughs) And I remember hearing that being like, fuck, that sounds horrible. But like, even when you have those moments, it sucks and it's, and it's hard, but you're like, like, 
this is so wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's, it's yep. the contradiction of parenting is just so, so strange. And it's just n- unlike anything you um experience. So, mm. yeah, I'm hanging out for, for yeah. you, and <coughs> you and Sal <coughs> to experience that. Yeah, it's going to be a whole new thing for us. And, you know, yeah, like I said, we're both super excited. And not just for, like, the 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 immediate challenge of having a child, but also just building a family yeah. and, you know, building, continuing to build our community around family and, yeah. um, you know, being able to, I guess, a lot of our friends have now had had children yeah. um not not all of them but a bunch of our friends do so you know having having that <laughs> it's weird to shift thing. to that part of our life isn't it yeah it's, it's super strange um but also like it makes total sense and you know it's just the natural evolution I, of life uh, how do you feel about following the natural evolution right <laughs> like like i i was always very um resistant to it kind of you know you mm-hmm. Go to school, you get a job, you you know get married, you have a kid, you buy a, or you buy a house, you have a kid, you know, you hang out with them for thirty years and you die. Like, <laughs> I always was resistant to that yeah, that, sure. that view of of life and progress and things like that. Yep. But in a nutshell, that's human condition. So, what? How do you how do you view that now that you're? Yeah, I think like part of me wants to rebel against it mm. and just not be another like part of the rat race, so to speak. Uh. But also, like, I just can't wait to be a dad, and I can't <laughs> yeah. wait to like have a home. Yeah. Have a home. We're house hunting at the moment as well, so having a home where we can make our own and yeah. um, like ha- that can be our space to grow into. And um, I am all for it. Like, yeah. I've wanted to be a dad for for you know. I've always loved kids, and you know, w- wanted to looked to be a dad one day. And so now that it's here, it's like yeah, like that's just natural progression. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I think you have the awareness. I guess we both worked on it a lot over the last few years to kind of get really clear on why we're doing these things and what it actually yeah. looks like, and not maybe not following that mm-hmm. natural process blindly. It's we're following it with open, open eyes, full heart, clear heart, clear yeah. eyes. Can't lose. Str- strong back. <clears throat> um, yeah, and you know I don't feel like I've missed out on anything <clears throat> yeah. by like now now settling down, so to speak. I think like we've yeah. traveled and we've lived and we've had peak experiences. So I, yeah, I, I mean, there's always more travel new, to do. There's new kind of peak experiences. Yeah. There's like, there's an infinite amount of places you can visit, but yeah, it's like, what, it, what adventure, the, the quote, like you can have anything you want, but not everything you want. Like yep. make your decision, get on with it. Like now you've made, you guys have made the decision to settle down, start a family. And it doesn't mean you won't be able to do the other things. It just means for now, you know, like, like if I go, hey, KP, I'm going to Japan for a few weeks in, you know, in Feb just to jump on a snowboard. It's like, I can't really do that. Just, <laughs> Not anymore. Uh, KP, if I can, just uh, let me know. Just dropping dropping hints out. Um, but but it, I guess it's just that like, well, I'd love to do that, but also I would love, you know, I would love to spend two weeks with the girls more. Yeah, totally. Um, and it doesn't mean I don't want to do that, uh, and uh-huh. but it means that I almost have, we almost have to be content with the decisions we've made that have... Yep led to these our current yeah and it's all just part of like decision making and motivation around why we make decisions um like we see people who are overseas now and like we have friends who are (laughs) over there and like oh it'd be be wonderful to be be in turkey right now (laughs) (laughs) sitting in france drinking wine totally oh 
but also like I love baguettes. <laughs> Baguette. Baguette. Uh-huh. But also like the challenges that are right in front of us are <coughs> like they're incredibly motivating and yeah. um meaningful to us. And, you know, we wouldn't want to be anywhere other than, you know, with our girls and with the yeah. work that we find challenging and meaningful and, you know, with our... I always look lives. at... I've, lately, I've looked at parenting. Like, it's like... Like, I'm a big movie, but I love love movies. I love cinema. And when you watch a movie where you're like, everyone needs to see this movie, like... And you talk yeah. to people that haven't seen the movie or read the book or whatever, and you're just like, you need to do this. It's life-changing. Parenting is just like watching the best movie <laughs> on earth and being like... Hurry up and have kids. Everyone's the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm excited for you to see that movie. Me too. Five stars? Uh, yeah, it's five so stars, fun. but there's some... Oh God, there's some heartbreak in there. Mm. There are like some character arcs. It's and a roller coaster. a lot of growth and development. It's like an emotional roller coaster. It's like an emotional ride of some sort. Love it. Yeah, it's ace. Yeah, I'm excited. Mm. Um, outside of being a dad, is there, uh, is there, and we'll wrap this up in the next minute or two, but, um, is there anything that you're actively excited for outside being a dad and outside, um, being head of the Risky Boys? Being King Risk, Chief Mm. Risk, um, Captain Risk, worst superhero ever. Maybe. Um, there has been a lot of movement in our, and I say our, Sally and my life in the last six months even. Um, you know, we've got, we're house hunting, we, like, you know, I've transitioned to this new role. 3931, mate. Lock yourself in. Yeah, maybe. It would be nice to walk straight here. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Oh. Um, so I'm very excited for those things. Um, to, 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 you know, for the house to happen and for the you know for us to start our family and then you know for me to settle into this this work, new workspace and you know um, start uncovering some new challenges and new problems to solve. Um, I think I want to do something hard. Ooh. So there's the the we've spoken about this the oh yeah we're signing up or what the 50k trail run in February. Um, I'll have a four week old then, so hopefully we, this, signing this up sleep won't completely go off a ledge. I think I want to sign up. I think yeah. I want to do it. If you do it, I'll do it. How about and, that? Um, I'm excited. I just want to have something physically <coughs> demanding that I can bit of resilience. put my focus into. Resilience training. Yeah. Something to give you a little bit of a nudge, a bit of positive pressure, mm. bit of accountability because if I do it, if you do totally. it, if I do it. Yeah. The, so, the ice baths that, that we've got here at Virtus yeah, have been leaning into brilliant. That. Yep. Been leaning into that pretty heavily. Um, so, you know... I guess my my physical well-being has been a little bit of a focus as well. You know, yeah. I mentioned trying to get my sleep under control, um, which has been, yeah, been a focus. Been trying <laughs> to drink a lot of H2O. Um, I'm not pressing it again. No, that's fair. Uh, and, yeah, so ha- having having the the base, you know, we talk about um, capacity a lot and being a, a capable of doing things that you want to do and not having physical yep. limitations on that because you haven't yeah. been looking after yourself. For sure. And, you know, the more physically capable I am, the more capable I am to show up as, <coughs> a, as a dad and in yep. my work. And so I've been so trying to build a father a figure rather than the dad bod. Ooh. Make a sticker? Make a sticker. I'll make some stickers. Um, 
So that has been a little bit of a focus. Yeah. I'm trying to build that capacity again because my training's fallen off a ledge. Mm. Um, so I'm trying to build some consistency there, trying to expose myself to some hot and cold stimulus yeah. um, to build that resilience as well as you know the health benefits that come with those things. Uh, drink lots of water, trying to eat some good food. Um, Stuff that you know you should be doing that you haven't been. Exactly. So it's the things that, you know, they're, they're the first things to fall away when you get busy or when yep. you start to... It's a nice reminder um, that the answer isn't some, you know, crazy concoction or some, like, for sure. magic bullet. It's just, like, simple, simple, simple shit. Yeah. Do the simple things well. Um, yeah. And that's where the, like, the transferability comes through because I've, you know, I'm super grateful that I've got this background and understanding of well-being so it enables me to, you know, um, show up in the in the world that I am in now, with this with this you know, base level capacity to to do things. <laughs> so, man, that's all it's all about. Yeah. I, uh, little observation yeah. is the last podcast that I did by myself was with Ed, good friend mm. of ours. Um, and the conversation with Ed was around his progression from corporate job to to like small business and building his own thing and you're like I was just thinking about it then like your your journey has been effectively mm. flip of that and yep. I think it's really cool to be able to look at you both and look you've both done it because you're following about what you, what you value and you're challenging yourself and you're looking at long-term growth and you're playing long-term games Mm. Um, it's like an infinite game for both of you, but you've done it backwards. And I think it's yep. a nice reminder that there is no path. Totally. Um, mm-hmm. The path is made by walking. Took, took the words out of my mouth. Like that. Um, and, you know, if we're, for, for those listening who maybe aren't doing what they want to do or aren't content and love and fulfilled in what they're doing, like, there is power in change. <laughs> Some of my best work there. Um, one more question before we, sure. before we finish up. Is it true that you have to risk it to get the biscuit? Depends how bit tasty the biscuit is. And on that note, Simon Cooper, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, mate. Have a good day.